Good morning. I don't think this is going to work like that. How's everyone doing this morning? Um, like Mike said, I am Pastor Jared. Um, I am the youth pastor here, and I love getting to teach to adults. Um, it, it, it's, a, uh, it's a good change-up. Don't get me wrong, I love teaching to high school and even middle school, um, but there's something about teaching to adults, you know? Kids are hard to teach to because as soon as you start boring them, it's like a quick, like, get out your phone, you know, start talking to your neighbor. Adults have mastered this skill of even when they're not listening, they'll pretend they're listening. So I thank you for that this morning. <laughs> um, this morning we're going to be talking about being in a position you don't deserve to be in. Um, and that's my question for you this morning is, have you ever been in a position you don't deserve to be in. I played soccer all my life. I grew up playing. Um, <clears throat> that was a sport in my household. That's what we played. I don't think I had a choice in that. But my senior season of high school, I was at the King's Christian School. And I know you guys are already impressed. Private school uh, soccer, right? Really, really impressive. But we had a, a really, really good season that year. We went 17 and zero. We had a undefeated season. It was my senior year, um, and I, I was super pumped. And everyone knows, at the end of the season, there's a game that comes up, and it's called the All-Star Game. And you know, as, as a senior, you're hoping like, oh, I think this is my year. I think this is my year that, you know, I'm gonna be all-star, uh, I'm, I'm gonna play in the All-Star Game, like here we go, like I've had a really good season, I've played well. So towards the end of the season, my coach pulls me aside, um, and he puts his you know, arm around my shoulder, and I'm like, oh, this is the talk, you know, this is it. This is it. And he said, Jared, you know, you've been playing well this season. You've been a leader on the field, on and off the field. You've helped us win games. You've encouraged people. But unfortunately, you're not an all-star this year. Um, and as he listed the three people that were all-stars from our team, I said, you know, Coach, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I think they deserve to be the all-star. Some of you know those all-stars in that game. One of them was Josh Myers. Um, another one you might know is Ryan Anderson, right? He, he leads our junior high ministry here. And something really gracious happened to me. Ryan had an academy soccer game he had to be at that was, happened to be on the same day as the All-Star Game. So he said, you know what? I've done this three years already. I've already been in the All-Star Game already. Coach, why don't you give it to the fourth string? Okay, why don't, why don't you give it to the fourth person? So I graciously was able to attend the All-Star Game. I went in as the sub. Um, I actually ended up scoring in the All-Star Game. And I'm, ha I'm having a great time. My team won. But the whole time, I'm like, I'm putting on the t-shirt, and I'm playing in the game. And I just can't help but think, I'm not supposed to be here. I, I don't deserve to be here. I wasn't on the list, right? I wasn't in the top three. So why here am I playing in the All-Star game? This morning, we are going to be looking at a story about a man who gets something he does not believe he deserves Please turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 9, or swipe your Bibles if you're using version this morning. If you're using a pew Bible in front of you, the page should be 243. I could be absolutely wrong on that, but it should be that. 
give you a couple seconds to, to get there. We're going to be reading the whole chapter this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 9. <clears throat> Let's read this morning. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lo-Dabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lo-Dabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of your Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your fat master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of his, the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he always ate at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for bringing us here this morning, God. Thank you so much that we are able to meet in the open, God. Um, we know that our brothers and sisters overseas are getting persecuted for speaking your name, God. And we get to come here on a Sunday morning and praise you and sing loud and worship you, God. Lord, I pray that your word and your Holy Spirit would be the loudest things in this room this morning, Lord. That it would not be anything clever I come up with or any words I have to speak, but it would that be your word speaking through me, Lord. Pray that you prepare our hearts for your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we really jump into this scripture and kind of just start dissecting it, I want to walk us through some context. Um, I want to take, take a look back at a couple chapters before. Um, the previous chapters, we see David is kind of just overwhelmed with blessings from the Lord. Chapter 7, we see God make a covenant with David. We know this covenant would be establishing his kingdom forever. We know this covenant would be that the line that Jesus would come through, establishing his kingship forever, being fulfilled in Christ. Chapter 8, we see David recount his many victories over his enemies that God delivered him from. Then we come to chapter 9, and David is just so overwhelmed with gratitude, so overwhelmed with blessings from the Lord that he's, he's actively looking, who can I show kindness to? 
He's just so filled that he just wants to, to find someone that he can bless, find someone he can show kindness to, and he seeks out Mephibosheth. Now, maybe you're wondering who is Mephibosheth and why is his name so hard to pronounce? Um, I'm wondering the same thing this morning. Uh, we're going to break it down here. Mephibosheth. Okay, say it with me here. Mephibosheth. Okay, so now that you have grace on me if I say the name wrong, here we go. <laughs> who is Mephibosheth? He was a son of Jonathan, right? We know that was David's beloved friend. Jonathan and David had a close friendship, and this is Jonathan's son. He was crippled. If we read 2 Samuel chapter 4, you flip back a couple chapters. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, it says this. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him, picked him up, and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. She also won the award for worst nurse of the year that year. <laughs> right, so after Mephibosheth heard this news of his, not only his father and his grandfather dying, his nurse drops him and he's crippled. He was also Saul's grandson. We know this from this as well. He was the last descendant of Saul who would have the rights to the throne if he was not crippled. In those days, the custom was to kill the previous king's family line. David does not do this. He also would be considered an enemy of David because he was in the line of Saul. Those family ties were at war at that time. They were on edge with one another. He lived in a place called Lodabar, which literally means no pasture. I don't think that would be a nice place to live in. We also know he did not own his own house. He lived in the house of Makir, right? He, he was crashing on someone's couch. And we also know Mephibosheth was in hiding. Verse 4, David asked, where is he? The reason David asked, where is he? Because he would actually be in hiding because his family ties made him an enemy to the throne, made him an enemy to King David. So he was actually hiding from the king. Now I want to walk through the passage with you, right? We know David is overwhelmed with blessings and he's actively looking to show someone kindness. He asks if there's anyone left of the house of Saul. Again, he does not know because the house of David and the house of Saul would be at odds. David asks where he is because he would be in hiding. And then we come on this visual of Mephibosheth coming in to the king's presence. We know he's lame in both his feet. Likely he was on some kind of crutches or could have been carried in. And he doesn't kneel before the king because he's crippled in both his feet. No, he, he falls on his face before the king. This was not a normal bow. This is not a, a normal thing that someone would do. He, he falls flat on his face. He's crippled before the king. Imagine he's just going and behold I'm your servant. Imagine you're an enemy to the throne. You're an enemy to the king. And now the king is summoning you to his presence. I can't imagine what was going through his head. David actually tells him, do not be afraid. 
He probably was very afraid for his life. Maybe he thought this is the moment. This is where King David will kill me off. Or this is the moment. This is where I'll be imprisoned or, or, or made to work as a servant for him. But David says, do not be afraid. David says he will show kindness to him, not because of what Mephibosheth had, had done or, or accomplished, but because of his father, Jonathan. David awards him with all the land that belonged to Saul, a seat at his table. Right? He did not just get a seat at the king's table. He got all the land that was promised to his grandfather and servants to work that land. This, he was set up for the rest of his life. He no longer had to crash at someone's house. He no longer had to sleep at someone's house. He, he owned his own land now and also his own servant. And I want to point out this. It says always. He always had a seat at the table. We see it three different times. Verse 7, it says this. I will restore to you the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Verse 10, it says it again. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. And in verse 13, again. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. David promised him a seat. And this becomes very important towards later in in 2 Samuel. We see in chapter 21, the enemies of Saul, someone who, who Saul persecuted, went to war against, they come to David and they're angry. And they're saying, David, you owe us this. You have to wipe out the line of Saul. You have to kill these people. And that would have included Mephibosheth. But we see this in, in 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 7. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Saul's son, Jonathan, because of the oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. This ties this oath all the way back to when David made an oath to show kindness to all of Jonathan's descendants. This was not a promise that David just willy-nilly just said, oh, here you go, yeah, you can eat at my table. No, this was always and forever you will have a place. This was a unheard of kindness back then. We, we don't even understand what that would look like now. And we see Mephibosheth kind of respond to that kindness. He goes, in verse 8, he says this, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? We see a similar response to a king in the New Testament with John the Baptist. Matthew 3, verse 11b says this, But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. We know John the Baptist, he was preparing the way for Jesus to come. He was, he was baptizing people, preaching a message of repentance. The Lord is to come soon. And as he talks about Jesus, he says, there's someone coming whose sandals I'm not even worry, worthy to carry. This is how Mephibosheth felt, completely and utterly unworthy before King David. I don't deserve this. He falls on his faith. I am a dead dog before you. I am better off dead, and yet you're showing me this kindness. This kindness David shows is declaring Mephibosheth as one of his own. To have a seat at the king's table would be so exclusive that it would be for his, his family or his highest ranking officials. 
This was a huge honor to be invited to the king's table. He was provided the best meals, the best food, the best service. Verse 11 says, And yet David calls him his son and sits him at his table. He regarded him as one of his own. Someone who was supposed to be an enemy to his throne. Someone who could have been a threat to his kingship. He calls his own. He calls him his son. We see Jesus give a similar promise to his disciples. After they are arguing amongst themselves, Luke 22, verse 28 says this, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign you as my father assigned me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus, like David, has called his followers to have a seat at his table. He offered him this, this table that, that, was, that he was supposed to be dead, right? He was in hiding, and yet David went after him. He pursued him to show him the kindness, overwhelmed with blessings. Now, if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, this is an awesome story, Jared. I just don't really know why you're telling it. Why, right? So what? Why are we studying this? Why are we reading this this morning? Well, I think there's three lessons we can learn from this passage. I think the first one is we need to learn from David's kindness. David reached out to the poor and needy. He didn't let his pride get in his way. We know the former king of Israel was a guy named Saul, right? The best man for the job. He was tall and he was handsome and he was prideful. And he let his pride get in the way. But David, we see, doesn't let his pride get in the way. David truly extended love. He even loved his enemies. Loved someone that could have been a threat to him. David extended the kindness he had received from the Lord to everyone around him. This is right after David had many victories and future blessings from the Lord. I want to put this in perspective because Mephibosheth wasn't just right, an enemy to David. He was also crippled. Back then, him being crippled, him being lame in his feet, practically made him useless, right? He wasn't able to provide for him or his family. He wasn't able to work. He was looked down upon in society. But David extends his love to him, extends kindness and grace to him. This is what we are called to do as Christians, right? This is our call of kindness. This is our call of love to be so filled up with blessings and grace and love from the Lord to just anyone we run into, it would be an overflow, right? And a spillover on them. This is our call as Christians to show kindness, not just to the people who are kind to us or our coworkers who are easy to deal with, but the ones who curse us, the ones who are, do everything they can to go against us, the driver on 295 who cuts you off. This is our job as Christians to show that kindness. Secondly, Mephibosheth was a beneficiary of his father, Jonathan. 
Google describes a beneficiary as a person who derives an advantage from something, especially a trust, will, or life insurance policy. Many of you know what this means, right? But if you don't, it would be if you are a child, right? And your parents put in their will that you inherit the right to their house, right? And if your parents end up dying, that you would inherit that, that you would inherit that, that will, that trust, that you would gain advantage to that. Right? This is what Jonathan was to his son. It wasn't that Mephibosheth did anything special. It wasn't that he was a good warrior or, or, or really wise or intelligent. No, he gained advantage of something because of his father. Jesus is our benefactor. And we received his life insurance policy of eternal life. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can now enter into his fellowship with God because Jesus represents us just like Jonathan represent his son Mephibosheth. It is not about what we make or, or how good we look or, or, or what we can accomplish for the Lord. No, the Lord looks at us and he sees our representation, our representative Jesus Christ. Thirdly, David bringing Mephibosheth to his table is a beautiful representation of God's grace to us. We are just like Mephibosheth, dead dogs that are deserving of death. We were stuck in our ways. We, we were, some of us were in hiding. Some of us are still in hiding. We associate ourselves with past sins, past handicaps, past crippled. We, we feel like we can't get over these things. We were not so clean when Jesus came to us. And I, I want to challenge a thought process this morning that I think a lot of us have, because um, I know I get caught in it, and I know, and I know I have it, but, but God is not waiting for you to get your act together. God is not waiting for you to clean yourself up that he can extend his loving grace to you. He's not waiting for you to stop sinning or to be smarter or a better person or a better Christian or more attractive or more useful to him. He's not waiting for that. He's waiting for you to go like Mephibosheth, falling on your face and say, God, I'm here, a dead dog before you. Behold, here is your servant. God, I know I'm crippled, incapable, but you are all I need. You are enough for me. We no longer have to be in hiding. We can sit at his table. You can be called his son or his daughter. We try to understand what God's love is and we can't help but associate what we do as Christians or what we do as humans, right? In order to be loved, we have to try to earn something. We have to try to earn someone's respect or trust or acceptance. So we try to do some things and, and we carry this over to our relationship with God. I often find myself talking to myself in my head and saying, God, I'll I'll come, out, I'll come back out of hiding. I'll, I'll come to you, but I, I got to get a good week in me first. I, I got I to gotta start following your commands again before I come before you. I have to start being more obedient to you before I can come before you. But this isn't it. That's not how God works. That's not how his grace works. He's actively waiting for you to call on his name. 
He's not waiting for you to stop being disobedient. He's not waiting for you to get your act together. He's waiting for you to call on his name. Coming before him. Broken. Sinful. Disobedient. Lonely. Depressed. Worried. Afraid. Scared. Feeling hopeless. We know this is a promise. Romans 10.13 says this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Doesn't say everyone who calls on the name of the Lord that reads their Bible every day will be saved. No, it's for those who are desiring for the Lord, coming before him, broken, empty, and ashamed. God wants us all. God wants us all. We're going to close with a time of song, and I want to invite the worship team up. and they're going to they're gonna sing a song for us, in, but I just want to kind of introduce it. It's a song called Carried to the Table. Um, it is by the band Leland. Um, and I just want to read the lyrics to this song because this song was actually written um, from the story of Mephibosheth. And I just want to read the lyrics to you this morning. Wounded and forsaken, I was shattered by the fall. Broken and forgotten, feeling lost and all alone. Summoned by the king into the master's courts, lifted by the Savior and cradled in his arms. I was carried to the table, seated where I don't belong, carried to the table, swept away by his love. And I don't see my brokenness anymore when I'm seated at the table of the Lord. I'm carried to the table, the table of the Lord, fighting thoughts of fear and wondering why he called my name. Am I good enough to share this cup This world has left me lame. Even in my weakness, the Savior called my name. In his holy presence, I am healed and unashamed. Shattered by the fall Broken and forgotten Feeling lost and all alone Summoned by the King To the Master's courts, Lifted by the Savior And cradled in His arms I was carried to the table Seated where I don't belong I'm carried to the table Swept away by His love Seated at the table of the Lord And carried to the table 
Table of 